Can you believe it, guys? James made like a gazillion pounds out of Sage when he sold. <laughs> you sound slightly um, hoarse today. My, uh, it's my sexy podcast voice. I can't talk to James for 30 minutes without hacking a lung up or something. I do try to have that effect on people. <laughs> I'm happy for you to ask me anything you want. There is no topic <clears throat> that you, you can't talk about. Have you listened to any of the podcasts? Yet? No. <laughs> so you have no idea what it'll be like. Um, it's going to be awful. <laughs> You're going to sign up for sign or ruin your career. No. I'm going to make it really shit now, so <laughs> you have to still play that. Hi, welcome to another episode of Digitals in a Cruel World, an original podcast, and I think it's safe to say now the fastest growing podcast talking about the world of tech, apps, and digital adoption in the accounting and business space. Hopefully you've enjoyed some of our previous episodes. Please make sure that you've shared uh, the news about our episodes, subscribe, etc. And please also give us some feedback. We've got a great episode coming up today with James Ashford, who hopefully lots and lots of people in our space will know. But quickly, how's your week going, Ryan, and what's going on? My week is good, thanks, mate. It's my daughter's second birthday today, so enjoying that, watching her open presents, and uh, to be honest, she is incredibly spoiled. That's that's the main thing I've discovered today. We've bought her way too much. I don't know where we're going to put it all. <laughs> Need a bigger house after that one you've just moved into. Yeah, I can't afford that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then the, the woman who keeps us also in order, Indy, how's it going with you? I'm perfect. All recovered from back troubles and... Yeah, back on it. Back on it with back, back trouble. Good stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And as some of you may notice, I'm losing my voice. So Indy's extremely pleased because it means I'm going to be quite quiet for this podcast. But last but not least, our richest guest to date, James Ashford. How are you doing, James? How's it going? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, just got back off holiday to Lanzarote and uh, all refreshed and uh, back into the thick of it today fabulous and you're not even wearing a green shirt so you're not quite in the swing of things yet no i didn't but when i got back i did have my swag box from sage when i got back so there was like all this <laughs> i've got a hoodie in it and stuff and and uh my son was buzzing because there was a, an iphone chart uh, phone charger you know one of those things that you can take with you so he was like yes and he's gone to school today with a sage water bottle so he's fully on brand at school today oh very nice speaking of <laughs> there you go that's it that's bust it. this out just for you <laughs> wow wow well my daughter goes to school with a simpro bottle at the moment so that's yeah. that's her bottle of choice but yeah we'll, we'll take anything here so you know we're yeah. all good did we get a review the other day so you've got to say thank you to the london entrepreneur great to have ryan john and indy bringing all the recent news to my ears each week great interviews and on the pulse with everything tech in the accounting world five stars from me Four ratings, five stars. Four? Yeah. Four is that three from us? Three from us and one one star. Well, once once James listens to it, it's going to be five five stars. So now we move into our app news part of the show. And uh, I've got something really exciting to talk about from the guys at Lightyear. Uh, so Lightyear, for anyone that doesn't know, is um, <clears throat> it's an OCR app. So working in a similar kind of space to, to Dext and Auto Entry, HubDoc, et cetera. Um, started out quite a few years ago, uh, particularly sort of focused on the restaurant trade, but has now branched out into other, other niche areas. 
And one of the updates that they released a couple of weeks ago that really caught my eye is a bank details checker. So <clears throat> whenever you get your invoices scanned in and it checks the, it extracts the information, it will now also extract the bank detail information if it's on the invoice and then check that against your safe supplier uh, bank details in your uh, app of choice. Um, I think that is a massive, massive, you know, uh, win for Lightyear, um, you know, in terms of the issues that SMEs in particular face around fraud. We know that, you know, bogus uh, invoices with bogus bank details on is a, is a big issue. It's, uh, this is actually a feature that I asked Receipt Bank back in the day to put in about six years ago when they invited me on their, uh, their advocate program. Still not done it yet, guys. So come on, someone else has done it and beaten you to it. So I'd like to see, see that coming into other OCR apps as well. Has anyone else got any other news? Uh, yeah, we're staying on the, the banking side. HSBC have moved into banking as a service. So they're working with Oracle NetSuite um, and basically powering an entire um, operation inside the Oracle NetSuite platform. Um, so what that means for NetSuite customers is they're going to be able to automate the accounts payable, accounts receivable and reconciliation processes um, from within the solution and um, basically by utilizing this HSBC platform. Uh, which I guess the aim is to make it fast and simple to pay the bills, uh, send the invoices and get paid and gain full cash flow visibility. Um, I think this is just interesting because I guess I've not seen um, the banking side get involved in the larger vendors. They all seem to be down in the kind of zero QuickBooks Online Sage Business Cloud side. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Um, what's your thoughts on that, John? You got any insights into HSBC and banking as a service? Um I mean, I, I think it's, I'm like you, Ryan, I think it's fascinating. Um, I mean, you know, my, my read of it is this is going to sort of replicate something that, you know, quite a lot of people will be familiar with if they're using zero QuickBooks Online, for example, with, with the, you know, the myriad of payment services now that are, you know, that are featuring there. Um, and um, yeah, I, th I think, you know, what we're going to be seeing in, in NetSuite now is almost, you know, a, a replication of a combination of the bank feeds that we're all very familiar with um you know some of the um your payment services it's almost like equivalent of sort of the, the stripe and go card plus automatic reconciliation and then some of the new newer payment services that we see with you know the likes of wise um you know sort of had that integration with zero in the early days and and other people have uh, facilitated so it's nice to see that this technology is going up a level because i think when you get in that erp space um as much as those are, are really exciting products and, and complex and, and complex rightly so um you know quite often what you find with the erp products is that you know there's, there's lots of compromises so their their ocr tech tends to be pretty crap their payments tech tends to be pretty crap so it's good to see that that, that is being developed and, and worked on and you know it suits uh, it suits oracle doesn't it it suits um, HSBC to get into that space because it's an area where the fintechs aren't really challenging and equally the, the, the likes of, of zero quickbooks etc aren't challenging either yeah, I think it's interesting the fact that um, NetSuite are building it into their solution again rather than partnering. I guess the the, the smaller end of the market are doing it via partners, as you as you mentioned, um, and NetSuite are building it in. I guess they've got the funds to do that, um, but their entire model is based on building rather than partnering. I know they do have partners in NetSuite, but they're trying to have one area that everyone goes to. Um, different approach. Be interesting to see how that rolls out. Sticking on the bank side, um, QuickBooks Online have um, been working on their uh, bank reconciliation processes and they are um, trialing an automated um, I guess bank reconciliation side for the deposits so um, what this aims to do is promote a single match recommendation for anything on the deposit side so instead of promoting I guess multiple options 
it will pick the one that's most likely or the one that the AI has picked and go, this is your single match. And you then have to click to edit that. So hopefully reducing the, the amount of um, clicking that people have to do on a, on, a, um, on a single transaction each time. But really this is how effective this is gonna be is, is completely dependent on the, the power of the AI. This may or may not work. It'd be interesting to see what comes out um, as it gets rolled out in full. Oh, super. Yeah, it sounds interesting that. And um, I suppose, you know, there's always a little bit of skepticism whenever we see that that badge AI bounced around. But, um, um, you know, hopefully if it learns and it improves, it, it, it'll be good. Um, moving on then, I've, I've got something else, uh, which is which is nice and interesting, again, in that kind of, you know, the bigger space that, um, that we don't often operate in. So um, Sage and Procore have announced a, a connector to be built or, you know, as part of their partnership. Uh, that will go into their intact product so <clears throat> again for anyone that's not kind of familiar with, with those products intact is a product that, that sage bought uh, probably about two maybe three years ago now um it's, it sits in that sort of larger erp type space a uh, very big presence over in the states um uh, but but a really slick nice product with with an open marketplace so it kind of follows um you know what we're more familiar with with, with zero and, and quickbooks again um and and procore is one of the biggest, if not possibly the biggest, um, building construction management um, you know, systems out there. And uh, I don't know about you, Ryan, but it seems to me that uh, building construction apps seem to have suddenly uh, started knocking on doors and, and asking about building integrations with other, other systems, because we've, we've certainly had a, a, a bit of interest in the last few weeks. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I might mention it on the, the last show or the show before, um, but it used to all be trades that um, you kind of saw the apps for and different levels of that, um, you know, the micro businesses up to, you know, probably the medium scale that would integrate into the zero QuickBooks Online, but we're now definitely seeing that in the construction space. I think it's a more difficult area to fill. Um, and I think that, well, I guess something I'm aware of is that not only a Procore building into Sage Intact, but I'm aware they're starting to explore direct integrations into zero. Um, I think they're using integration partners at present um, or integration partners have built that connection and now i guess they've, they've reached a certain number of clients that are, that are using it they think well, we might as well build an integration directly so interesting to see what how long that takes to come out but i know they're exploring that um well initially and see if it see if that works um moving on there's a little bit from a marketing perspective from me um, and by marketing i mean just how the apps market their 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 connections or what their benefits are in different products or different jurisdictions and something I've followed is what Zero have been doing with Figured on an ag space. So um, originally the partnership would have been over in Australia, very big, powerful integration over there, Zero and Figured. And then when Figured wanted to come over into the UK, Zero saw this benefit of, um, well, we don't really have any competitors. Our, our, our QuickBooks aren't really um, powering, linking in with apps from a um, ag space, near is Sage. Let's do this um, single integration with Zero. Let's make it kind of a unique thing that we're marketing together and push this out. After doing that in the UK, they've done that in the US, and now they're moving um, to push this into Canada. So Zero have proved that this works, marketing a specific sector and pushing this out, um, and now are moving into a different jurisdiction. So I picked up something we do a lot of um, in Scrum Bland and um, in the UK is working with Zero and Figured. So yeah, interesting to see how they're, they're rolling that out over different areas. Uh, it is really interesting. I mean, the, ag the agricultural space is not not one that, that we operate in, but um, I can imagine you look pretty good in the Stetson if you were to sort of branch out into the States. Uh, awesome. Right? Hats are my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and, and I've just got one other, uh, one other thing. 
on sort of the app news, which is just to sort of you know go back on, on something that we picked up a good while ago. But uh, Intuit formally announced that the the completion of the the, the deal to acquire Mailchimp, and um, you know, like I said, we covered it a few episodes back. But I think it was hot off the press at the time, and we hadn't really had real chance to sort of think about the impact of it. You know, <clears throat> having having thought about it a little bit more, I mean, the, the you know we we now know that that Mailchimp's got a really good presence on on ecom. Um, Intuit have obviously been going around, you know, acquiring apps in that space with, with acquisitions like OneSAS. And so you can kind of see that we, we, you know, they've got a, they've got a real sort of strategic focus there in terms of, you know, trying to hone in on, onto that, onto that e-com sector and, and build a suite of products that are going to be under their, under their badge that will all, you know, integrate or do something really, really slick in that space and, and create opportunities for, for people on that platform. So really fascinating. Yeah. I think just touching on that, the, um, you know, hopefully something we would delve into a bit with, with James later is, you know, what Sage are doing in, in that, that space regarding the, the practice management um, and kind of the, the accounting offering. Um, but QuickBooks have definitely gone down that, that direct to market package. Um, and MailChimp's been, although a huge, huge buy, um, is, yeah, a very big strategy piece for them. And I'm, I'm, I think we're going to see deeper integrations and deeper promotion of this over time. Yeah, I think especially so. Because, especially because you can... Now you own pretty much the whole process from start to finish. If you're a certain type of business, an online business, you can acquire users, engage them, market to them, sell to them, um, get them to pay and do all of the, the kind of accounts work with them um, from start to finish. So I think it's a really good, um, it's a good thing for uh, Intuit, that type of vertical integration. I still think that there's probably other um, parts of the puzzle that they need to add into their um, set to complete them. But um, yeah, I think it's really good. Um, there's also been a lot of news on Zero this week. So um, we've got a new look for Zero's bank reconciliation, which I think we touched on a couple of pods ago, um, but they've now decided to make um, some more changes to make it more accessible. So the new look um, should uh, accommodate and improve um, their accessibility and make some more improvements to how it works. Just jumping into that, in the, when they were looking at that, they just changed it. They, they basically uh, went and changed the bank rec and made it so um, there was less shown on the screen, but it was, you know, it was easier to read. But the community was up in arms and, and Zero said, OK, well, you know what, this was working before. Let's create options. The, the, the key thing, I think, now is that they're, they've, although they're committed to doing that, they've, they've reacted promptly and something's going to come out. Um, imminently i think it was one to two weeks time that we should see this come out um so it proves that zero just listen to its community especially if enough people go hey what are you doing here um it was working why why change something that that, that was working well there's also been more feature changes so there's additional kind of customization in the reports things like manage your employee expense claims in zero me and they've been doing a lot to invoicing and the invoicing module has been changed quite fundamentally they've been tweaking things in there the, to be honest they've been dabbling I, that's how i would uh, described their developments recently is tweaking lots in little ways there are, there's nothing fundamental than reporting that's come out recently although they are promising quite dramatic changes in the future especially regarding being able to create management packs directly inside zero and the entire look of the zero reporting section but on the invoicing side, you've got certain things like they've improved their Square integration. And just so you're aware, if you already have an integration with Square, you need to transition. It will be cut off. Um, so please do that as soon as you can. Um, but they've also through their Stripe integration, they've got Google Pay. 
So um, lots of little tweaks, really nothing, nothing fundamental. And they're also at the same time, Zero has been navigating John's favourite topic, UK open banking and Yodly. So Zero has been using obviously OpenWorks in the UK and that was recently acquired by Tink. And so there was probably a need to re-authenticate, which most customers were communicated with about that. Um, but then outside of the UK, they use Yodly on bank feeds, which has been a big bugbear for most, but there's some changes to the bank feeds to help improve the experience. Yeah, I, I, th- I think there's been quite a few complaints, you know, a, a mixture of in the UK, but I think predominantly outside of the UK with, with feeds, you know, failing, not working, not being re-authenticated. And, it, and it, like, as you said, India, it's, it's Yodley that provides a lot of those feeds as they used to do here in the UK before uh, all the open banking rules changed that for the, for the better. I don't think anyone quite knows exactly what the problem is with Yodley, but you know, we, we were sort of discussing it earlier and Yodley's been around for a long, long time as a technology set. I wonder if it's keeping pace with what's required really for, for the cloud space. I think the other thing just to come out on this is that Zero in general has just had some problems recently. They used to boast about not having downtime and over the last, you know, three, four months, they've had significant downtime. And then the bank feeds, which I guess in certain banks were always issues and you now had, you know, just general kind of complete failures. So there's some teething problems maybe in development or just certain ways they've changed the way they release stuff not entirely certain but it's it's being noticed that um that that it's not as reliable it used to be so as john mentioned we've got the great james ashford here i think we're quite privileged to get him on our show thank you james for joining um obviously that's right mate obviously hopefully most people are aware of you you are everywhere um, I think at one point I saw your mum's net. So um, <laughs> you, you do get around uh, beyond the, the accounting space. Um, yeah. But I guess we all know you from GoProposal. Briefly, what was your experiences um, before GoProposal, before getting into the accounting world, um, and what drove you into the accounting sector? Yeah, yeah. So I've all, I kind of see myself as a bit like Forrest Gump. So I've always kind of just done the next thing that kind of seems right or that kind of has drawn me to it and attracted me to it. So at school, I, I studied product design and went on to do that at university and uh, kind of had a, a good level of success at doing that. I wanted to do a master's degree, left, didn't quite know what to do. And my dad said there's a job teaching art in prisons. So I taught art in prisons for a, a while, uh, set up an art course in the prisons nearby. And then my mate, you can think I'm making all this up. My mate said... Uh, my mum and dad have got a flat in London next door to Liam Gallagher. And I was I was trying to be a magician at the time. So he said, okay. why don't you come to London and be a magician? So I went to London and was a magician for a year. So I just kind of did so many different jobs and eventually came back to uh, Yorkshire where I'm from. And uh, the, re- the, the recession hit like 2007, got maybe done it a couple of times. Uh, we had our first child on the way and I had this brainy idea. I'm like, Becky, I know how we're going to make loads of money and have loads of free time. I'm going to set up my own business. So that was where I started. And I, I, there's a business coach that I knew. So I said to him, what advice have you got? He says, get this book. So just, just for you, the people that are on the podcast, James has wandered off to get a book. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank so. you for that. I forgot about that. <laughs> so E-Myth Revisited. So this is my well-thumbed copy with copious notes in the back. And this just became 
kind of this idea that I had of how do you build a business that genuinely runs without you, that runs on systems and processes and um, started my first business, which was a, a, a my first proper business, I would say, that was a marketing company. And we had a good degree of success. I got exposed to lots of really good companies and was working with them very closely. That then drew me into those to kind of find out how, how can I help them? How can I impact them? Um, that business ultimately failed. And the reason that business failed was because I became a little bit distracted. I didn't have the right focus, but ultimately we didn't have the full finance function in place in that business. So I was getting 18 month old data from my accountant. All my financial decisions were based on gut instincts. I didn't make any major wrong decision. I just made loads of small ones and yeah. unchecked. And over time, everyone took me a degree off course. And by the time someone kind of took my blindfold off, we were on the edge of a cliff and I didn't have the skills or the energy left to get me and us back out of that cliff. So I did everything I could to hand over the client safely, to look after the clients, the staff, to look after all suppliers, but that business went in the end. Okay. And um, was that, I guess, the the final thing you did before moving into or, or inventing GoProposal? Or was there anything else that you kind of learned through on that process? Yeah, So so through that, we, we we hit we stumbled across some very interesting things so i became fairly solid at building out systems and processes creating good experiences got really drawn into marketing because we were building websites to people but then they were like well how do we actually get customers to the to the website so became very focused on that but there were a few businesses that recognized uh, my skill sets and after that business they brought me in as a consultant and some of them were like I guess, range of like 10 million in revenue to 300 million in revenue. And they just kind of trusted what I was saying. Um, and I started to work on them. And, and each business that I was working with, um, the, the challenges were always around the way they priced and sold their services. No matter what the business was, whatever the sector was, you could look at whatever problems they presented you. I've got these staffing challenges. I've got marketing challenges. I've got this, this challenge. But when you kind of okay, well, what's causing that issue? What's causing that issue? When you keep going and keep going and keep going, it nearly always comes down to the fact that we're not charging enough money in the first place. We're not consistently charging enough across all, all our clients. We're not charging for everything and we're not getting the money in fast enough. And if they can solve that root core issue, the very fundamentals, to my mind, the primary function of a business is to make money. Now, you can people can argue with this and they can say, no, it's not. It's my reason why. And it's to have this impact. Great, beautiful. That's your motivation. But the fundamental function of a business is to make money. If it doesn't make money, you cannot survive. You cannot employ the staff. You cannot have the impact. You cannot pay yourself. You can't do any of those things that the business is designed to do. So you have to make money. And when you get back to the core of making money, it's fairly straightforward. It's like, what are you providing? What are you charging for that? And how do you get that money off the client? And that was the fundamental issue that we solved with business after business. I guess, you know, if you're doing that, there will be at some point, as you said, a light bulb moment that you go, there must be a way to, to solve this. But taking, I guess, the, the range of different businesses, I assume different industries you, you were working in when you were consulting, um, you've then picked one, you've picked a sector, being the accounting sector that you focused on with Go Proposal, and then you've got a partner in that, that space. But it'd be really interesting, I think, to, for our listeners, for how that, that kind of meeting came about, how that, those initial discussions that formed the the egg that was go proposal before it blew up would you be able to give some insights into that yeah sure i think it's fair to say that i was always looking i was always looking for the business this idea this product idea that would and then we're going to talk about cash here 
and it, people may think this sounds cr crude, but makes me millions. That was le legitimately a focus. And I remember reading a quote from Jim, Jim Rohn, and he said, you should aim to be a millionaire, not for the money, but for the person you will have to become in order to get there. And that, that just always fascinated me. How do I generate so much value through a product, through a service? How do I create so much value in a business that another company wants to acquire that business and pay, pay us that amount of cash to solve the problem of money for myself and for my family and potentially generations to come if we, if we play our cards right? So I was always looking for that and had been looking for it for many years. Um, even when I was a magician, like I, I set up... I did a thing on LinkedIn recently. If you, if you go and search for it on my profile, it was like people said I've become an overnight success. The night has lasted a long time. You know, so like when I was a magician, I set up something called Magic Dad, which was like this series of magic videos, training dads to become magical in the eyes of their children. Mums can use it too. And, uh, you know, we, we launched that. And that was going to be the big thing. And this was going to be the big, big thing. So I think you have to always be looking. And then I encountered, so I'd, GoProposal or versions of GoProposal have been meandering through industries and different businesses and becoming more refined in its concept uh, as it kind of progressed. And then I was involved in a mastermind group in Harrogate where this guy brought together kind of six businesses that were all very progressive, very enthusiastic, very positive. And we all got together and we met every, you know, uh, every couple of months. And Paul Barnes was there, who was a very entrepreneurial accounting business based in Manchester. He came. And for the first couple of sessions, I don't think we really chatted that much, to be honest. He, he was fairly quiet, fairly reserved, kind of observing things. Um, and then I think we went for a run together one morning, which I regretted. As you do. I regretted <laughs> that decision because he's just like fast <laughs> and lean. And I'm like big. People are always surprised at the size of me when they actually meet me. Because My physio says I'm a big unit if that okay. kind of describes me. Um, so I'm not built for running. But that's how I first kind of got started talking to Paul. And at the time, so Paul had been on a different journey. Paul had worked in large firms, smaller firms, uh, was one of the youngest people to get his practice certificate, or whatever it is he needs to set your own practice, and was very entrepreneurial in his thinking. You get accountants, accountants, and you get people who set up accounting businesses yeah. So he had a business that happens to provide accounting services and he is an yep. accountant. It's a very subtle difference. But the moment you see yourself as a business versus being an accountant, you immediately align yourself with your clients. You stand shoulder to shoulder with them. You stop, you stop sitting at the opposite side of a desk and seeing, well, we're a professional services business. We're an accountant. You're a plumber or you're a web designer. You're a whatever, right? The moment you say, well, you know what? We're a business too. We're, we're all figuring this out and let's get on the same side. Let's all look in the same direction. So that was kind of the shift in his thinking that I've seen with lots of other accountancy firms as well. So very entrepreneurial. And he'd been on a journey of trying to figure out how to price and sell his services correctly. Okay. So he'd been on every available course, subscribed to every group that was available in the accounting industry and had these very elaborate spreadsheets. Like if I message Paul, right, he can sometimes spend a day or two getting back to me. If I message him and say, Paul, I have a formula in Excel that I can't figure out, he would like stop feeding his kids to come and sort a formula in Excel out for me, right? Yeah. So he had all this elaborate methods of price and accountant services, very well thought through. And I had the ability to take that and work that into a piece of software. So when we first developed it, it was literally, I was solving the problem for one firm. That was it. Yeah. Okay. And when we did it, he said, this is unique. This doesn't exist. This could go huge. It sounds like it wasn't specifically one moment apart from a very painful run for you. 
um, it sounds like more of a, a, a period of time of working together and finding a problem to solve. And when you've solved that problem, seeing how big that could grow. And over time, obviously, it's grown to being huge. But during that process, I assume there must have been some some big wins, some big problems that you, you had to overcome. Is there any that stick out over, the, I guess, the you know, last few years through that growth curve of GoProposal where you had to really overcome any key areas that stand out for you? So just to be clear, the spark that made it happen wasn't actually doing it in MAP. It was another accountancy firm in Leeds called Northern Accountants and a guy called oh. Phil Ellaby and said, who said, what are you guys doing over there? And we said ah. this, and they said, how can I get it? And that was the spark because that then made it a com- a potentially a commercial product. And so I, I, I was working with two developers at the time, one in York, one in Australia. And I got them both on a call in this hotel room in Manchester. I said, do you think we can do this? And okay, next question. Can we do it really cheap as well? Like, can we just keep the costs absolutely down? So a, a few things were is I just needed to keep the cost as low as possible. I'm a tight Yorkshireman. I didn't want, I, I, I didn't want to borrow money. I didn't want to take investment. But if I'm perfectly honest and put my hands up, I don't understand that world. Yeah. I don't understand the concept of borrowing large amounts of money, having, is it, do they call it like burning runways or, or whatever? Like, I, I don't get it. It scares me to death. I just like to, you know, because of my experience in the previous business, one of the things I said to Paul early on was, I want to have three months of overheads in the bank at any time. I want to have a separate account with all of the tax and all the money that's going to be paid in that account. So that cannot be touched. I know exactly where that is. And I need visibility of my finances at all time. I need my accounts to be reconciled on a weekly basis. I need a financial plan in place and a forecast and a budget moving forward. I need a month, a set of monthly management accounts to know exactly where I am on track so we're making informed decisions at all, at all times so people think people go into business and they think that they have all these they go into business because they want freedom and they want choices if you want to be successful in business you don't have many choices you do not have as many choices as you think these things are not optional you have to have these things in place and yeah. that's why i'm a huge believer that you have to invest heavily into the finance function of your business if you think that money is the making money is the primary function of, of the business. So cash, not only cash flow, but actual cash as well and getting that. Therefore, the thing that looks after that and, and governs it and controls it has to be the thing that you invest the most in, which is yeah. the finance function of that business. And so that was a real key foundational setup that we had in Go Proposal from the start. So do you think that, I guess, partly your mindset and, and wanting to be on top of the money and partnering with an accountant, um, early on in, in building this system has been a fundamental um, reason for its, its success because you are always on top of that you're always tracking those metrics you weren't as you as you alluded to um, having to spend money because you didn't get that that financing you didn't have to do that so you had a bit more control over that do you think that that kind of influenced it I think that influenced it I think the ultimate thing that influenced it was being absolutely scared to death like <laughs> fear. After, I promise you absolute fear constantly and people see me as a you know you're a positive person you're always optimistic i feel i'm realistic um and, and being overly optimistic isn't good being pessimistic pessimistic isn't good but i'm always aware of what can go wrong because i felt what's gone wrong i know what it's like to go back to my wife and say i've messed up with we have to remortgage the house i know what happens at that point i know when you're in a small town and you then go to get other businesses to say you know, can we work together? Can we do something? Can you partner me for them to say, we will not work with you because your business has failed and I don't want to, uh, your reputation to damage mine. 
and to walk out of the office, people that you've worked with for years and have to start again and business people saying, you will never make it in business. And to use all of those experiences and comments from people to, to, to push off against. And yeah. so absolute fear, I would say is the driving force for having all those things in place. But I'm also a big believer that what people will do in business is they'll blame a lack of resources. And one thing I am is creative. And I believe that the ultimate resource to have is being resourceful. And so I actually see it as a gift, having to be resourceful, not having money to do things. So when, so you started this uh, podcast round by saying you're everywhere, right? We're not, yeah. I'm in Doncaster. I rarely leave Doncaster. My house is a mile that way. The team are in Manchester, but we make you think we're everywhere because we're so prolific with the content that we produce, right? Yeah. And so what we do is, my genuine goal has, has always been since the start of this, look, let's genuinely help as many people as we can. Let's just share what we know. Let's give it all away. And if people sign up for our product, fantastic. And if they don't, if we've helped them, brilliant. I've got friends I've made in the accounting industry. They have never signed up for GoProposal, not once. And they've told me point blank, they never will because they've got another product they use. It's yeah. very embedded in the business and they're happy with it. But you know what? Probably guess what one that is, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Practic it's Practignition, I'll say yeah. it. They're a good product. Practignition is yeah. a good company. They're a good product, right? And so they use that but they still follow our content. They still listen to what they do. They still bought my book. They still watch our videos, right? And so that has always been our goal because we didn't, they've had millions and tens of million dollars of investment. So if we try to go head to head with that, we can't compete. But what we can compete with is being prolific with content and posting every single day videos or great copy, great content on every single social platform. Yeah. And another thing that forced that resourcefulness, we went to, we did an event for, in, for QBO in America and I got there and we, we did well out of it we, we covered our costs with it and I remember saying to my team to Heather how much does this cost us like how much is it you know for travel people not being in work like how much of it all and when I looked at the numbers I said I think I can employ a full-time video editor for that and I can produce 24-7 content um again online all the time versus one event yeah. so I said I'll tell you what let's pull out of every event now, so we canceled every event and we doubled down on videography and sharing content, right? Um, that was pre-COVID. We made the decision not to attend uh, events okay. and we already had our digital strategy in full swing before we hit COVID. I love that and I share the sentiment. You've done a brilliant job of creating such a community. Most of the accountants that I've spoken to have said you've just got to being go proposal because the community is worth it and can you speak to some of that and how you've kind of engaged that community and kept yeah. them kept them with you so when we started out there were three components to, to what we wanted to create so one was the software one was the educational content so how do we get how do we give everything away everything we you know it's not that map is a perfect firm by any stretch you know we have our challenges and and every there isn't a perfect firm out there every firm has the challenges right um, but the bits that we have got right and that we have figured out and that we are doing well, in, we're going to give it away. We're going to share it. We're going to map out the process. I wrote my book. We just shared everything that we're doing and we gave it away. The third component was the community. So peer to peer support. Uh, we use Facebook as a platform because Facebook, you know, most people have it. It's on the phones. Um, but what's great about Facebook is you can easily share videos. It's easily searchable. Uh, it, it beats every other platform. Um, and you can say, well, LinkedIn groups are more professional. Yeah, but the videos posting isn't as good etc cetera, etc cetera, right so facebook was the chosen platform which was quite unusual at the time when we did that 
And the thing that set us apart um, that other people have tried to replicate us and not been able to do it, big companies have tried to replicate us and not been doing it, is because we've been so open and we give everything away, we, we start the relationship with a spirit of generosity. So when people enter the community, they're very surprised at how when someone asks us a question, yeah, here it is. Yeah, but how do you do this process? Here's the process. Here's the document. Here's our entire sales process, here's our entire onboarding process. And they're so overwhelmed and can't believe that you're giving it away. So they see this and experience the spirit of uh, generosity. They then are in a generous mindset when they join the group. Yeah. So you've made certain key decisions that have then launched and been massively successful. And those added up to a point where you've now got bought out by a sage. And how did that process come about? Obviously, at the start, you said, I want to, I want to create something that makes me millions. Yeah. So was that what you were always building the company towards? Were you always getting towards a thing where you wanted to sell and actually you were actively looking for someone to buy? Or was it just an opportune moment? So Simon Sinek's got a really good book, which is The Infinite Game, where he talks about the difference between a finite game and an infinite game. So the moment you take investment, you're playing a finite game. You have to sell. So we wanted to play an infinite game. And the infinite game is give as much value as possible and play as long as you can. That's the goal, right? So you look at businesses that are doing that, the likes of Tesla, the likes of Apple, they're playing infinite games. They're just playing to play as long as possible. So what I wanted to have was not an exit strategy, but an option strategy. The thing that he talks about in the E-Myth Revisited is get to the franchisable model as fast as possible in your business. And what the franchisable model means really effectively is this is the point where the business runs without you where you could literally hand that business blueprint up and say, here, you run it, okay? So it was, how do we get to that point as fast as possible in Go Proposal, which means that you have to systemize everything as much as you possibly can to free up your team to be brilliant, creative people. So that's what we kind of wanted in the business. So we systemized everything that we could. We had playbooks from the start um, so that everything was that was was documented to get to that point where is what I would what I term in my head is a franchisable business. But all that does is it gives you the most number of options. So at that point, I could set it to run on its own, step back and set up another business. So just, so when did that happen then? When did you because I assume there must be a point where you thought I've I've hit that now and now I can we can explore different options. So for you, was that early 2021? Was that so we're five years, we took us five years to, to sell. I reckon year three, we were at that point. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was a business where we could, I couldn't, it was now making my wife and I enough cash for us to live the life that we wanted and do what we wanted to do. So I could have like, we'd gone and done something else completely different that didn't make any money. I want to be a portrait painter one day. So I could have gone and done portrait painting. That was fine. It was running without me. In, in prisons. In, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I brought in an operations director, Heather, um, who's my niece? Like I have loads of pictures online with her and I'm hugging her. And so I just have to always say she's my niece. So I love her to bits. Okay. So anyway, so Heather was brought in, she became the ops director. So that was at that point, she then freed me up and, and took everything away from me that, I, uh, all the functional running of the business. So at that point we could have literally taken the business and said, right, let's set up the same thing for law, a law firm, go proposal law, go proposal financial planning. Right. I could have stepped back. I could have set up another business or we could have sold. And so it's getting to that point as fast as possible where you have the most number of options. And the reason why you have to get there as fast as possible is you don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to happen in the future. There could be someone that turns up and says, we want to buy you. There could be a life-changing event 
where you need to sell or you need to remove yourself from business or something like that. We just don't know. And so that was why I wanted to get there as fast as I could. And it was people knocking on the door, Ryan, that yeah. was the thing that so made me realize we're at that point now. So it was, a, it was people rather than one entity. So there's multiple people kind of inquiring about, about the product. Is that, is that correct? Correct. And just the final things to add to that, when I say get as many options as possible, one of those options was to exit. My wife yeah. and I had done a, got a financial planner in and we did a financial planning exercise years before where we looked at, right, what is the life that we want? You know, we want to put deposits down for a kid's house, get them weddings, pay for them education, all that stuff, right? Pay for them for university, have a house here. How much money do we need to do that? We, we figure that out. We'd be happy with that. Therefore, when we get to that amount, if we get that, if we're able to attract that amount for the business, we sell. That is it. We've, we okay. agreed that. And I say, I love my clients. I love GoPros. I love the products. I love the accounting industry. But you know what? I love my wife and my family more. Yeah. We made that decision together. And when the first company said to us, you know, uh, started to talk numbers, and then within quick succession, two more within the same month, two more. I think the thing that prompted that, Ryan, is we'd gone over a million pound revenue. So okay. getting over a million pound revenue, I think starts to make businesses think they must know what they're doing. They must know yeah. what they're doing. And so, so you've got, you've hit the million pound revenue, you've got people knocking on the door and then an offer comes in that's above that, I guess that line that you've drawn. Mm -hmm. And then is it that there's one offer that hits that and you go, oh, it's hit, I'm accepting it. Or was there considerations of, is this the right firm that I want, you know, buying what I've created? Yeah, so the first offer that came in was of, a, of more than we were looking for. And we pursued that for a while and you start to get excited. My wife's looking on right move, all that type of stuff, right? And <laughs> then it fizzled out. And that wow. was in December. Another company came and started talking to us, which made me think this is interesting. And then January, another company, okay? And then it kind of tailed off and I thought, right, okay, you know what? Let's just get our heads back down. Let's carry on, let's carry on growing. And then I got to early February and I had this thought and I don't know why I use this analogy. I imagine like, it's like someone's come and said, I might want to take you to the prom. I might, we might want to go to the prom together. Right. Okay. And then they've wandered off. And then I thought, right, well, we've had a bit of interest. Why don't we put our best suit on, brush yeah. our hair, look smart and go and like go, try and find the right date to the prom. Like we, we might be here. And so in February, I thought, let's let's go for this let's get dressed up and go for it and if it's the right time and we get the right amount we, we golden and if we don't you know what we've got a brilliant business that's profitable that's got money in the bank yeah. that's delivering great value we crack on we had options we always had options i want to know what you wore to this meeting uh, <laughs> now, <it doesn't>... <laughs> so center got sold to iris yeah you know we'd always worked closely with center they were similar size to us we liked them a lot and i thought like they can do it maybe we can do it so I found the M&A company that um, Centre had used. I contacted them and I said, would you represent us? And they looked at us and looked at our business and said, yeah, you're in great shape. Uh, we'll do our very best. So at that point, first thing that they, they do is kind of explore your business and look at you from a financial perspective and look at all of your numbers and really get in amongst the weeds. If you ever think that selling your business is an option in the future, you have to get everything perfect. Yeah. As perfect as you can. Yeah. Three years before three years before right so we had great financial governance and systems and processes in, in our business already great disciplines okay the m a companies then preparing you for as well what if a, a plc want to buy you okay because if they're going to buy you they're going to bring a top four accountancy firm in maybe two and they are going to 
explore you from angles yeah. that you didn't know existed, okay? Since the beginning of time, we have got to prepare you for that. So the financial governance that you have as a scaling, growing business is one thing. We're now preparing you for something else. And so that preparation work took the first couple of months. I mean, we were investing like heavily into the finance function of our business up until that point that would make most people's eyes water. What we started investing at that point was a whole other level, yeah, right? And But even through that, I still said, like, if this doesn't play out and we don't sell, we will have matured and learned so much stuff throughout this process. It will still be worth it. And so we got ourselves in great shape. And then we um, started to identify who would be potential buyers of us, who would yeah. be interested, who's aligned, who's in this space, et cetera. And you make an A list, a B list, and a C list. Um, and you prepare presentations and brochures and all these documents that have unusual names and things like that. <laughs> And um, you then go and knock on the doors of the people and say, do you want to go to the prom? How And how many, if you don't mind, so how many doors did you knock on? Maybe 20 doors would okay. be knocked upon, I think. So it does, I think that's, you know, you're, from that, you're summarising the scale of dedication you've put into, you know, making this sale. This has been a, a long process to that sale point. We narrowed it down to the companies and then you, we go and do your presentations. Six companies wanted us to actually present to them and then... Uh, we had a few offers on the table after that that point. And then at this point, we're going in and we're sitting and we're talking to leadership teams and I'm bringing Heather along. But this is the unusual thing about us. The entire team knew what we were doing. We consulted the GoProposal team every step of the way. They knew we were entering this process. And every step, we were able to say to the team, what are your concerns at this point? You know, we've got one guy that was about to get married. We had another guy that just had a child. And so, you know, you have your, you have your clients, you have your software, you have your team, you're trying to find the best home for all these people. But out of all them different things, clients, software, product, roadmap, team, the most important one is the team. Because yeah. if you cannot find the right home for the team, the clients will suffer, the product will suffer, the development roadmap will suffer. It was the, the alignment of values with Sage that was the thing that was like, this is it, this is the one. And, and I think sometimes people have a, a perception perhaps of Sage that they're a little bit behind the curve. They're not the cool for, they're not the cool accounting software, et cetera. All I can say is what I've experienced from a values point of view and where, where what they were talking about and where they want to go and, and why they wanted us just made me think that this is the absolute right company for us to back. But that's now happened. And yes. now Sage, obviously, GoProposal, powered by Sage. Something I saw, and it'd be good if you could allude on this, is that um, there was a statement that said, you'd already worked out what the development strategy was. So what GoProposal was going to develop and Sage were 100% behind that when the purchase was made. Okay. Would you be able to give us some insights into what that looks like and how long that is? Is that six months, a year, two years? And in terms of development roadmap, I can't talk too much about what Sage are planning to do, but I can talk about what we've talked about before at GoProposal. And it was the fact that what we're talking about is aligning to what they're talking about. So you can arrive at whatever conclusion you want from that. But there's a difference between digital products and truly digitized products. Like an analog bank, an analog bank becomes a digital bank, but yep. all a digital bank is, is the same analog bank. You've got your, your statements online, but it's the same stuff, right? Nothing's changed. And then you move into a Starling bank, where now you're getting notifications saying, you've got a payment coming out tomorrow. You haven't got enough money. You're overdrawn. You need to adjust this. So now... You've got a truly digitized product, which is events-based and actually informing you and helping you and working with you. 
and, and I don't know if you've experienced this with other firms, your firm, we've certainly experienced this in MAP. You have all this digital technology and there's the promise that comes with that, that life's going to be so much easier. You're going to be able to give all this value and do this advisory stuff and sip pina coladas on a beach and all this stuff, right? And then you sat there thinking, it's no easier. Is it just me and my firm? Or is, yeah. is it as hard as ever? Like there's more things we've got to learn. There's more regulations we've got to do. People don't value us enough. You know, we've got to, you know, we don't feel comfortable charging more. And I've got all this tech. So do I have the wrong tech? Am I using it wrong? Am I just thick? Like people have all these questions and stuff. Digital products aren't enough. They need to be truly digitized for them to become useful. And it was that roadmap of Go Proposal and what we're doing in becoming a truly digitized events-based product that's actively driving the growth of your firm, not a passive proposal product, not a passive pricing product, but actively driving the growth of your firm that really ignited the excitement of Sage. Cool. I've got to admit, I have no understanding of what you're bringing out, but um, it <laughs> sounds really interesting. It sounds so exciting. By the way, there was definitely a brilliant ad in there for Starling Bank. Oh, you yes. literally held the card up. It was beautiful, James. I think we should sell that, to be we honest. Should, yeah. There's one, I guess, final thing that I, I would like to, to ask James. Go Proposal is generally seen as, you know, James Ashford. James Ashford is Go Proposal. Go Proposal is, is James Ashford. At some point, I assume you will no longer be part of Go Proposal. Have you got a date for that? Have you got a plan for that? But for those that can't see the bookshelf, I do have lots of books on the bookshelf. I admit I haven't read all of them, okay? Uh, They're just to kind of show that I am maybe a learned person, but there are some <laughs> that I have certainly read. Keepers of Influence by Daniel Priestley. Um, and Key Person of Influence is a fantastic book that helped to shape our marketing strategy. It was that that led me to write in my book, Selling to Serve. Being a key person of influence within your business uh, whatever, whether you're an accountant or, you know, you grow in a software company or whatever, is actually a very effective way to build a, the growth of a company around a personal brand. It's actually quite a cheap way to do it, if I'm honest, right? It doesn't cost you anything to write a book. It doesn't cost you anything to film a video. You don't need fancy equipment. The best videos I've ever done online, I promise you, were done with my iPhone, okay? And posted, and they were just reacting to things, and I was just documenting the journey. And they had hundreds of thousands of views within a day or two, right? So building it was very key. We then had to contact him and say, right, we've built this now. How do I get out of it? How do I back myself out of it, right? So over about two years ago, we started the process of backing me out of it. So I'd, I have no running operationally in Go Proposal and haven't done for about two years. I get brought in uh, for, on quarterly planning sessions that we do. We do our OKR meetings. And then what we found was in those meetings, I actually became something that's called an accidental diminisher where you start to diminish others and you don't do it intentionally and you don't do it for any bad reason, but you just quick to come up with answers and you want to dive in and help. Well, that was no longer helpful for the team and it was stunting their growth. So when I then started attending OKR sessions, there was a rule, which is I'm not allowed to make any statements. I can only ask questions. So they presenting what they're doing and all I can offer, ask is a question, but I got two cards. So I was allowed to make two statements or give to offer two ideas because I only had two cards in this three-hour session. I had to play them wisely. So I had to just sit on my hands and keep my mouth shut, right? So they they forced me out. Heather, very polite, it's very kind uh, that she came up with this name. But well before we started the exit process, this year, the, the last year was all about, it's called Kill the King. It was the final stage. Another book called The BMAT Entrepreneur. And the final stage of growth is Killing the King. You got to kill them off because they'll, be, they'll actually inhibit the growth of the business. So that work had all started. You've started to see 
uh, us making other people within Go Proposal start to build their personal brands. And so you start to see a lot more posts from the rest of the team. So there was a mention today on, on LinkedIn. It wasn't about me. It was about a member of our team. And that's intentional that we started to make that shift. And the other thing is heroification of our members. And so how do we remove me and start to make our members the heroes, the members the star of the shows, which they absolutely are? Because people don't want to look at GoProsal and think they want to be like me. They want to look at the celebration of our client successes and say, I want that success. That said, the, you, if you will follow me on LinkedIn, you will see posts done every day yeah. and not by me. I hate to burst the bubble, okay, for people. What, what is this wizardry <laughs> going on here? Yeah. I, you know, I can, it's efficient for me to spend one or two days filming videos, right? And then for the team to take that, break it up, and they can then post that for the next 12 months. But the team are posting it. I did actually post one this morning for my family, like my holiday this morning. There was two posts today. One this morning, I just got back off holiday. Here's a picture of my kids on holiday and something I learned about going into the sea. That was me sat this morning having a coffee. This afternoon, you saw a video got posted about um, uh, why you should never discount your services. That was me in the video. But that video was last I year, know. I think. And the team yeah. writing that and posting it. So in summary, you can't tell us when you're going, but there's, you've been planning it for quite a while. Yeah, so it's, I'm already, I'm, I'm not operational in GoPros at yeah. all. Uh, I'm strategic and an ambassador for the brand. Um, I'll be working with Sage for a minimum of two years. Okay. Um, and I actually think that I'll be working with them beyond, beyond that. Yeah. You know, assuming we're going to do everything we say we're going to do in the way that we're going to do it, and I see no reason why we wouldn't do, then, you know, I back them. They're a British company. Yeah. employ 13,000 people, 2 billion pound revenue company, FTSE 100 company. Like there, there are great people. I think someone posted on, on the LinkedIn, I won't mention it was, they said, oh, but Sage, you're a dinosaur. I'm like, are you joking? Dinosaurs are extinct. Sage yeah. took over 2 billion and make half a billion a year. That is not a dinosaur, right? They're still like the dominant accounting software in the country. And so I just think to get behind a British company that's doing its best, yeah, uh, is, is a good thing and and that's my plan that's what I'm doing no, that, that's great and um, to be honest James it's been an amazing interview you've given us so many insights and actually quite an in-depth explanation of how and why the sale came about so thank you so much for coming on the show that's great thanks for having me guys thank you in other news we have uh, a few bits and pieces I think to talk about who's got something they want to shout about I caught a report researched by the ACCA on the climate action and the accountancy profession and it says that only 15% of accountancy firms have set net zero targets to be net zero compliant by 2050. The report has also found that only 38% have said their organisation is willing to invest more to address climate change over the next five years. Against the backdrop of COP26 I just think it's so disconnected from what, what we need to achieve. I think the, the timing of the report will be interesting and how that, that changes now with obviously what's going on. Um, and uh, as a, as a um, I guess, comparison to that, as Scrum Bland, we are now creating a sustainability team, um, not something we had previously. So it could be that COP26 is the trigger for actually what businesses and accounting firms have wanted to do for quite a while, um, but they've just needed that, I guess, kick up the backside to do so. Um, definitely from our end, I think we've wanted to, we've talked the talk, now we're actually starting to, to put something together. 
Yeah, let's yeah. hope because this was across 3,000 firms and I was quite surprised to see it at this sort of time when ICAEW have put in place so many initiatives to try and help accountancy practices along. It is shocking to see that people aren't really adopting it quicker or maybe they just don't know what to do when you're talking mm. about your scrap and bland policies. Where are you going for information or how are you trying to plug the gap so that you have something that is a plan? Uh, that's a very good question. I'm not sure I've got an answer to that, that Indy, but um, I, I think when you say that ICFW have been talking the talk for quite a long time, most of their talk on, on the environmental side has always been aimed at the larger firms. I think it's only been more recently that they've actually focused on more a generic approach across the entire of their membership. Um, and accounting firms are you know, renowned for taking a while to, to, to change anything. Um, although we especially on the cloud accounting side, we're talking about, you know, fast adoption. Sometimes it does feel like kind of, you know, steering a tanker in the accounting firm. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's probably why it's just taken a little while for the, the sector to pick it up. I, I would imagine this would dramatically shift over the next six months to a year. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the other things as well is when it comes to stuff that comes out of the Institute is there seems to be an awful lot of focus on technical stuff. So you know, we covered this when we were talking to, to Caroline in the in the B Corp uh, pod that we did. You know, there's a lot of focus coming out of the institutes um, and, and associations on ESG reporting uh, and what that should look like and who, who should be responsible for it. And that, I think, for quite a few firms, takes the focus away from their own sort of sustainability, you know, objectives to setting a plan. Um, you know, certainly at, at Beaver and Shothers, you know, we, um, you know, we do have a sustainability plan. We've worked, you know, closely with some of the, you know, local government agencies and some of the other, uh, you know, organisations in and around Greater Manchester to, to help us with that, help us to measure what, what, you know, what our output is, what we need to change, uh, you know, things like, you know, simple things like recycling paper, you know, wasting less. Um, but also, you know, in the longer term, we do need to plan a bit more. And, you know, and, and there are there are no end of <clears throat> incentives for businesses, you know, whether it's things like installing charging points at offices, for example, um, you know, trying to cut down travel, uh, do more video calls, etc. which I think, you know, has, has kind of already happened anyway as a consequence of COVID in this kind of hybrid model of working. So I suppose the biggest challenge for, for practices is, is what is work going to look like in the next, six, 12, 18 months to 10 years to get to that 2030 plan. Um, you know, is hybrid here to stay? Will it change? Will it adapt? And, and that obviously then has an impact on the carbon footprint of any business. Um, and that, that's quite challenging to kind of predict. Building on that, actually, the um, Intuit has committed to helping one, 1 million US small businesses cut emissions in half by 2030. What they're sort of saying is that small businesses represent 90% of the global business population, and they want to try and put their hand in the ring with their Intuit Climate Action Marketplace, which presents a range of different apps and options that um, businesses can look into to help support them in reducing their own carbon footprint. And there's some really great ones on the list that um, a couple that I already knew about in the UK, too good to go for restaurants and uh, stores that have surplus food. And then there's a couple of other ones like Trade Water in the UK, Red Ink, which is eco-friendly office supplies, Goodwings, a net zero business travel booking business, which I will be looking into for myself. (laughs) It's great to hear that they're taking the initiative upon themselves to try and facilitate it through their own marketplace. Yeah, definitely. I'm, 
I know the, the main announcement was they were focusing because, you know, Intuit's a US firm on the US side, um, but it's interesting that they're, they're basically opening this up to US and UK. So if you're with um, QuickBooks in the UK, explore this. Because um, I think over time and what I think is you know, going to be pressured through COP26 is that businesses will need to address this. Get on this first, make sure you're part of that, those 1 million businesses. I've got some really interesting news and it, it kind of along a very sort of similar theme is that um, MasterCard have, have just introduced an accessible card design for the visually impaired. So not really sort of tech related as such, but, you know, clearly, you know, one of the things that, that I'm keen to make sure is that, you know, everyone is, enab is enabled to be able to use technology and new systems. And if you, um, you know, don't know what type of card you're using, for example, you can't make use of or you can't make uh, easy low risk use of technology like contactless payments for example and everything else that comes with it so fascinating that the mask kind of announced this um and effectively what they've done is done something which is incredibly simple and incredibly low tech if you like and just designed different notches on the end of a mastercard depending on whether it's a credit a debit or a top-up card so really fascinating i love that kind of idea um there will not be a 2022 edition of quickbooks desktop in the uk they'll continue to support um existing um existing editions up to the 31st of January 2023 but that push from an MTD point of view is you're going to need to move over to the cloud version they are going to stop the support of the, the desktop version so indirectly linked to cloud accounting I'll go with that <laughs> well I, I think it is I think it is linked to cloud accounting I mean you know <clears throat> Intuit QuickBooks massive player in the marketplace you know not just not just in the US but you know obviously in the UK as well um, you know, desktop products, a bit like Sage 50 has had quite a lot of very dedicated users for a long time. And, you know, I can fully understand why sort of Intuit QuickBooks have made this decision, because why would you try and maintain two cars that effectively do the same, but one's running on old technology and one's running on the new? It's, you know, it's a bit like, it's a bit like keeping a diesel car and a Tesla in your garage and, you know, using both uh, when everyone seems to be pushing for, for electric as much as we kind of, you know, know a lot about the space. There are still a hell of a lot of accountants who, who are really being left behind. Um, <clears throat> so, so I think it's incredibly challenging. I would, if you want another speculative prediction, I, would, I would, wouldn't be surprised if this doesn't open the door for Sage to do the same with their desktop solutions as well. I've got some news on an announcement that was picked up oh, literally you know, a couple of hours before we started the recording tonight. And, um, and that came from Iris and, and Dex. Um, obviously, there's a there's a link higher up the chain there because HG Capital have invested in in both of those companies, um, and you know, it's not. I must admit, it's not immediately clear to me what's in the detail of this announcement. But the, what they have said is they're announcing a partnership between Iris and Dex um, to to facilitate the uh, you know better quality of transfer of data into the Iris suite, I suppose, if you like, so into accounts production, tax practice management solutions. Um, obviously, that data you know is, is originally sort of sourced from bookkeeping solutions, whether that's um, zero QuickBooks, uh, possibly even cash flow, if you remember that one. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this develops out. And it's also going to be interesting from a, you know, HG point of view, because historically they've tended to keep their investments, you know, reasonably ring fenced to a degree, um, certainly from the outside looking in anyway. And, um, you know, we know that they have investments um, into, uh, access which bought Unleashed uh, and also into something like Silverfin and, and you could imagine that if Iris and Dext are starting to work together that you know Iris, Dext and Silverfin might be a really interesting combo um, and, and a solution from data in to you know, analysis and outputs to a final set of you know stats and accounts for example. 
Well, I smell a speculative prediction there. Yeah, definitely. It's something that we try and bring here is uh, predicting weird partnerships in the future. Absolutely. Well, we, we do like a speculative prediction. It's we, should, a we, should rec- we should record all these down um, and, and present them at the end of uh, like a, a year, I think. Yeah. One year later, how, yeah. how badly did we do? They'll <laughs> all be rubbish. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode. Lots of insightful chat coming across from James. So it was really interesting to hear about his story and what was going on and what the plans are for the future with, with Sage and Go Proposal. As I said at the beginning, please make sure you like and subscribe us. Please provide us with reviews. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. And tell us some stories. Get get in touch. Tell us what you want us to, uh, to talk about and things to discuss in the future. As always, best way to, to follow the pod is to get on LinkedIn. You'll find us on there and it got all the links to our website and the various channels. But if you want to get in contact with any of the hosts or our guests, you can do so by speaking to ryan so ryan how do we get a hold of you uh easiest way to reach out to me is probably linkedin um yeah just ryan pearcy at linkedin or twitter ryan n pearcy and indy how do we get a hold of you these days it's the digitals linkedin page which is a little plug for it so please 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 follow us on that um and i will of course see your messages and your um posts awesome and Unbelievably, if you don't already follow James, uh, how do we get a hold of you, James, on your millions of social channels? Yeah, well, any social channel, whatever social channel you prefer, but uh, LinkedIn, we're always constantly posting on there and just kind of sharing our best content. So, you know, you can definitely get some value from there and um, you can message me on there as well. I will actually reply to you and um, you can find the Go Proposal website by Googling it. Amazing. Thanks very much, James. As I said, great episode tonight. And really, uh, really looking forward to getting this out there for, for you to listen to. Thanks very much. I reckon you're going to be decent, to be honest, Fine. because I can yeah. see this. Decent. I can see. They're I can decent. See... The setup is brilliant. The lighting, yeah. the you sound. It. It's like literally, <laughs> Ryan. You wait till I hit my groove. Honestly, get ready. <laughs> Are yeah. you ready to do some like consultancy on podcasting? Because like... <laughs> I think so. Oh, we need it, don't we? I think James be going, Ryan, look, can you just ask that again? That was terrible. Uh... <laughs> 